welcome back to Change Voices, where we explore the challenges, successes and lessons of leadership through the experiences of women leaders across Africa and beyond. I am your host, Paula Frey, CEO of Frey Intermedia. My guest this week took a leap into the unknown, pushing herself to learn how to run a business driven by her determination to make a difference. She has made a significant impact. Today, she has a West African business and an academy to train young women in the field of technology. And she has done so despite some formidable challenges. Ghanaian social entrepreneur, Regina Honu, is CEO of Soronko Academy, the first coding and human-centered design school for children and young adults in West Africa. Regina has received multiple awards and was recognized as amongst CNN's top 12 inspirational women who rock science, technology, engineering and mathematics, or STEM as it is commonly referred to. I spoke to her online from Accra and began by asking her to tell us how she started in the business of technology. I decided to change my career aspiration of being a doctor to studying computer science. But it took me a while from the time that I had the idea or had the passion to go into computer science to actually learning about what computer science was because back then you know phones were a luxury item and internet and all of that was a challenge um so it took me a while but once I got hooked on wanting to do computer science I never gave up and it does feel like it's quite a challenging career I mean it's such a male-dominated space what Mm -hmm. particular challenges did you have and how did you overcome them So I had many challenges, even starting from when I told people that I wanted to go into computer science, you know, the feedback was like, oh, it's very difficult. It's just for boys. And I remember when I went into university, my first course, which is Visual Basic, which is a very relatively simple programming language, I found it very difficult. And we were a minority. There were only three ladies in the computer science class. So I remember I failed my first test. I was like, look, Everybody's been telling me it's for boys. I'm not even doing well in the very first test. We're just three in this class. So I was um, going to change my course, but I decided that I can't just give up. But just generally, you know, it feels like a boys club because after when I graduated and I started working, you do get very lonely and you always get what I call the five second shock reaction each time I introduce myself as a software developer. So there's still the stereotypical perception of who a software developer is, and it's mostly no female. I I can imagine how difficult it must have been in the beginning. So why was it so important for you, Regina, to stick with it? Why is it important for women to be in this space? So for me, I felt that that was a way I could express my creativity and also contribute to solving problems around us. I saw that, you know, especially on the continent, you know, we missed out on different revolutions, the industrial one. Um, I felt that we could play catch up with the rest of the world using technology. And I didn't want women and girls to be left behind. I think it's essential that we have the female perspective in the technology solutions. We can't just have one perspective or one gender designing solutions for all of us. So for me, I felt that that would be my way to make change because you could build an application and literally have millions of people use it and it can transform their lives. So for me, it was really make change and leave a legacy. I felt that this is one way I can sort of put my dents in the world and build solutions that would uplift because I was very passionate about changing that narrative or the single story of Africa. I wanted it to be known for more innovation and more technology solutions that, you know, improve our way of life. 
So, so what came first, Virginia, the company or the foundation to get young women into technology? So it came, both happened at the same time, interestingly, because I was initially driven by the passion, you know, for social change, but I didn't like how NGOs operated because they relied solely on donor funding. So for me, and just based on even how I was socialized, you know, I was very shy, reserved. I mean, I didn't even know how to maintain eye contact when I'm talking to somebody. I've totally evolved from that. But I just figured that, okay, since I'm not very good at going out there, why don't I have a for-profit company and then use my profits to run the non-for-profit? So I started both literally at the same time. Okay. Then. So in 2016, you actually won the Startup Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And the organization was actually the Enterprise Startup of the Year, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how you started up the organization? What happened in those early years? So I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. You know, I I believed that I was going to work in corporate Ghana um, and then just rise through the ranks and eventually marry and make a family because that was also how my socialization had been. Um, but prior to even starting the company, I had moved from one bank to another bank. I worked in the bank in the IT department. I'd been past promotions. I suffered discrimination, sexism. But finding the courage to quit a well-paid job to start something was not easy. The day that I resigned, when I woke up in the morning, I didn't even know I was going to quit my job. It was a regular day, but I just had this strong feeling that this was it. I didn't really have a business plan or any sort of laid out plan. I don't recommend that. And so (laughs) I just... I just kind of did a spell the moment thing. I remember I went into the ladies to pray because I'm very spiritual. And I was like, Jesus, I'm, I'm about to make the most um, life-changing decision. It could either turn out very bad or it could be great. And when I resigned, my manager was like, you know, entrepreneurship is very hard. I'll be back in six months. And, but I just did it. It was in the morning I had a panic attack, but now I, I had resigned. So I got a laptop and a table in my parents' house. I had to actually move back home. Um, because my father had free internet. I mean, my father was paying for internet, so I could get, and he was an internet service provider, sorry. So I could get free internet. So I was like, okay, let me move back home. I had to also develop a whole new persona. I didn't know how to negotiate, you know, because I think also as part of the socialization for women, you you take what you're given, you know. There was nothing about the narrative of asking for what you deserve, you know. If somebody says, okay, this is the amount of money that you're going to give you, and you feel that it's fair, you don't even think, oh, no, I mean, could it be more? So I was really horrible at negotiating for contracts. I, I, in, the, in the beginning, I was just happy to, to get the job. And I realized that clients even started lowballing me just because I was a female. I also had um, issues of some clients. I, I remember there was one incident where, you know, for me as a starting entrepreneur, I was always on like 24 seven, you could reach me and a client scheduled a meeting, which was late. And then he said, oh, we can meet at a hotel. And then the meeting started a little later than it was supposed to because we both had prior engagements. And when we met at the hotel at that time to the clients, he thought he was male. He thought that was consent in a way, because why would I take a meeting in a hotel? And to me, I mean, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a professional meeting. It doesn't matter that it's not in the office. So then you have, you have, instances of men blurring the lines between this is professional and them taking it somewhere. So I even had to stop taking meetings past a certain time outside an office setting. And the other thing was, you know, it was interesting because tech is such a male dominated space. I would mostly be engaging with senior managers who were older males. Now, if a man asserts himself in a meeting with older men, it seemed like, oh, he's forward thinking, he's strong, you know, but if a woman does that in our patriarchal African society, it's seen as I don't know my place or disrespectful. 
I had to even understand all those little nuances when it came to how I express myself in order to survive or win the contract that I, I, I wanted to win. I also had to use my own money because where, where do you get access to venture capital? You know, where do you get access to funding? So I started off with some of the money that I had saved to build. And then I had to do proof of concepts because people didn't even really understand when I would say I'm going to teach coding to girls or when I would say that I'm a software developer running a tech company, they would say, am I sure? You know, people just didn't believe that they could get the same value that they would have gotten with a man. So it was very difficult in the beginning, but I still through all of those different challenges. I'm, I'm still, I'm now facing different challenges, but you know, it's entrepreneurship is a roller coaster ride. Mm. Let's chat a little bit about entrepreneurship. I mean, are there any particular questions? I know that yours was a spur of the moment decision, but are there any questions that you think that we should be asking ourselves before we start a business? So I think the first question is, what is your appetite for risk? And what are you passionate about? And I think the final one is, what are you hoping to achieve? Or what problem are you trying to solve? You know, you have now with entrepreneurship being such a buzzword, a lot of people thinking, you know, it's the next cool thing, but there's one thing to start a business and there's another thing to sustain it. You have to be somebody who's able to survive all the different ups and downs that come with entrepreneurship. You also have to have a good support network, but most importantly, you must be solving a problem that brings value. And I, and I think you also have to be very passionate about it. So it isn't just, oh, okay, entrepreneurship seems to be the end thing now. Um, but if you ask yourself, what is my risk appetite? Am I passionate? Do I have a solution to this problem? And, you know, am I willing to take all the ups and downs that come with it? And also, I think you should ask yourself also, how do you treat failure? You know, failure is part of mm. the journey. I mean, you'll fail at different things. But what do you do when you fail is the most important thing. So you have to sort of prepare yourself. For different failures and know that no matter what happens you have to have the attitude of never giving up so assess yourself and that's what i tell lots of young people if you are ready because also it's timing makes a difference so assess yourself if you are ready to go the long haul and if you are then you go full force never give up no matter what happens yeah are there any specific things that you think entrepreneurs in emerging economies need to be particularly aware of so I think there's a very big discussion first in the entrepreneurship landscape about funding, right? And access to funding for people coming from the African continent and what that looks like. So there should be more discussion on venture capital or access to funding, more funding happening on the continent. Also, there should be that unique approach to solving our own problems. So we should stop those narratives like the Uber of Africa or the Amazon of Africa. We should create our own unique solutions that are exported to the rest of the world. And people don't have to copy, you know, what is existing. Even if you're going to copy, like tweak it a little to fit the context. And I think we should also work at branding ourselves better so that we can even attract different investment because we are battling the single story narrative. So it's good that we share more of the positive stories coming from the continent. We show people all the innovative and amazing things that young people are doing and how you know entrepreneurs are creating solutions that are scalable that are replicable so i think it's also important that we speak out and share more of the positivity and also be transparent and be willing to collaborate and work together that i think is also a challenge especially in ghana you know young people wanting to work together mm -hmm. people understanding that we go further if we you know work together
But, you know, what do we need to do in order to ensure that women have a greater role in science, technology, engineering and mathematics in the coming years? So for me, when I get this question and I, I have lots of people that come to me and say, oh, women don't have an aptitude or an interest in science, technology, engineering and math. And I always say that's wrong. Or they say women are more inclined towards the arts. And I'm like, no. I mean, there's a way of social conditioning that happens early and it works on a, a woman's psyche. So I believe that the first thing that we have to do is to also start early. Like what happens is, you know, for children, they have female teachers in kindergarten. And then when they go into school and they're teaching STEM, it's mostly male teachers that teach it. So that's the first thing. They should see more female teachers that teach it. Um, the second thing is they should see more role models, you know, other women that have excelled in the space because you have a lot of the women in STEM that are doing amazing things, but they need to be portrayed more. Also, we should have curricula that has a gender focus. And by that, I mean, whoever is creating something, create it from their perspective. And there are ways of making the curriculum tailored to different groups based on things that are of interest to them. So I think the way STEM is presented also has to have you know, more females who also bring in that perspective of how to make it engaging for women, you know, how to make young girls see this as an option for them, how to remove the stereotype that somebody who goes into STEM is going to be boring or socially awkward or is going to be a nerd or whatever. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's time that girls know that it doesn't define who you are. It's what you do. You can be anything, but still do that and show them all the amazing things that they can do. But also I think what's important that they must know because there are lots of girls where they're not even encouraged into the space in the first place um, and they're not even presented as that as an option. So they don't even know what the benefits of STEM is, how exciting it can be and all of that. So they wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards that. And I think finally, you know, there should even the, the, the classroom spaces, the engagement, and there should be some mentoring, you know, um, older women or women that have gone before reaching out and all these different ways will get more women in STEM. And I think the last thing I want to say is, you know, women aspire for fashion and a lot of beauty things because you see a lot of it in the media. You know, each time you turn on the TV, there's a lot of talk about fashion and all. I think what would also help is if we see more women in STEM on the media, you know, we should see female astronauts or these female technologists, you know, and see all these shows around um, these things. I think that would also make a big difference because the media plays a very huge role on shaping narratives for young people. Mm-hmm. Then you've actually trained thousands of, of girls in Ghana and Burkina Faso um, through the Tech Needs Girls um, program. What's your long-term vision for it? When we started, it was really planting the seed that it is possible for girls to code. And, and we've successfully done that. We have successfully sort of changed the narrative of, oh, technology is just a space for boys. And so now we've actually moved into another program called Women in Digital Skills, where um, for our girls that have been trained, you know, we connect them with scholarship opportunities and some of them have started their own businesses. But also we are connecting the women and girls to jobs in the digital space. So for us, we also believe that the whole women empowerment movement is essential when there's economic independence for women. So we are tying in the knots on how they can use their digital skills, not only to problem solve, but to be economically independent. So we have several programs now. We still have techniques girls where we reach out to girls. We've had some girls go on to get full scholarships to study computer science in university. We've also started a women in digital skills program where we 
train more women and girls and connect them with jobs within the digital space and support others to start their own tech entrepreneurship business. So for me, I think the long term is to see more women creating technology solutions and to see more women and being economically empowered and also to ensure that, you know, with this digital revolution, women and girls on the continent are not left behind. Can other organizations help you meet that goal? Yes. So this is a collaborative effort. Um, I think it literally takes a village. So we love to partner. We've had several partnerships and, and support from amazing organizations like Open Society Foundation, Ashoka, UN Women, um, MasterCard Foundation, um, USA for Africa. And we're happy to partner with other organizations to help us, you know, get to where we need to go, to help us scale, to help us replicate this, you know, across the continent. So I think partnership is key because it really takes everybody working together to move the needle and to help us with advocacy and also policy change. Um, so we invite different organizations, big or small, to join in. We always say that um, Techniques Girls or the Women Digital Skills Program is a revolution. It's a movement. And so as many partners that can come in to support would be great. Great. That's good to know. Um, what are the next challenges for you? I mean, what can we expect from you in the next five years? <laughs> so we've started off with the first Coding and Human Centered Design Academy. Um, we've also, we're piloting, introducing coding to the public schools. So I think in the next five years, what you will see is that we've created more pathways to digital jobs for women. So you hear a lot more women, you know, in digital spaces that came through Stronko Academy. We're hoping to replicate our models. So we are in Ghana and Burkina Faso in other African countries. We're hoping to move to Liberia and Nigeria. And we're also hoping to expand the academy and its network across different regions in Ghana. So essentially, I think when you think of Africa and you think about women, we want to see like all the great solutions that the women will create. And in five years time, you know, there would have been a total shift and we're also actually getting a lot of international organizations interested. So we sent out a couple of CVs to Microsoft. We're helping um, recruitment or helping fill the female tech pipeline for different international organizations. So the women will, will not only be making an impact locally, but internationally. So the next five years is going to be very exciting. And I think to add, we work with women from different walks of life. So we're also very active in moving women from the informal to the formal sector so that they can get better paying jobs, you know, and they can give their families a better life and obviously raise more empowered women. So I think even in the longer term, we'll see a new generation of, you know, women and girls from the African continent that are more empowered. That does sound really exciting and, and lots of programs at a whole lot of different levels. Hmm. What advice do you give women who are not in the IT sector but want to feel comfortable um, around IT discussions in the workplace? Um, what should they be doing? So for women that are not in the IT sector, I think it's important that they upskill themselves. And um, now, fortunately, you can go online and there are several courses that you can take online, um, a lot of free courses. But I think it's important that whatever you're doing, whatever space that you find yourself, you add some digital skills to it, you get some knowledge, you know, there's even a lot of content um, and, and, and videos that you can learn. So it's essential that you are learning more and upgrading your, your IT skills or upgrading your digital skills. You don't necessarily have to go into the tech space but just, you know, add value to yourself, you know, just make sure that at least for the basics, you have a good grasp of it and 
keep upgrading and adding more digital skills because it's very important. I wonder if we could wrap up with just some advice for for other women who want to follow in your footsteps, not necessarily IT, but who want to build organizations for the future. What are the entrepreneurial skills or the tips that you would give them? So I think the first advice I would give to women is mute that voice that tells you you can't. I mean, I I have the voice a lot of times, you know, even when I was studying, even now when I want to take a bigger risk, you have this voice that tells you you're not ready, you can't do this, you're not good enough. Mute that voice. Impossible is really, not to sound cliche, I am possible. And you are bigger than what you think you are. Make sure that you go at your own pace. Find your path and walk that path that works for you. Don't try and be like anybody else. Don't try and copy anybody. Do you and do you in a way that you're comfortable. It isn't a race, it's a marathon. So make sure that you are preparing yourself. Create a good foundation with your financials. Make sure they are tracking when money comes, when money goes out. Make sure that you build a formidable team and a good support network. And, you know, encourage yourself when you fail. Know that failure is a learning experience. So take the lessons that you can get from whatever failure experience that you have and use it to get better. Don't push yourself down. Don't hold yourself back and never give up. And in moments <laughs> where you, you, you feel overwhelmed, just take a breather. And, I, and to add, once you add family to the whole entrepreneurial journey, that's another roller coaster on its own. You know, for me, it's one of my big challenges. But take it a day at a time, you know. Don't try and do too much and do what you can. You may not win at it all, but just keep going. And no matter what, you know, never give up. Just on that whole thing of never giving up. I mean, I'm sure that you've had setbacks that have sometimes felt like failures. How do you work through that kind of setback, through that sense of you're just not doing it? So first, I took every setback personally. And by that, I mean, each setback that would come my way, I saw it as I have failed or I'm not good enough. So the first thing I had to do was to analyze it as it is not a failing of self, but it's a setback in the journey and setbacks do happen. Also to sort of sit down and really assess what went wrong and to be open to feedback and criticism without allowing it to beat me down. So sometimes um, when things didn't go well, I'm big enough to even go back to wherever, like if maybe I missed a project or I miss being able to seal a deal and find out, get feedback, you know, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? In instances where maybe I sent in a proposal for some funding and the proposal was rejected, I go back and then try again another time. And I also just um, get feedback. And I think it's also important to note that there will be setbacks. And if you take more risk, um, you will sort of know that setbacks come with it. If everything is smooth sailing and everything is so easy, then you're not taking enough risk and you're kind of staying in your comfort zone. You should see setbacks as a way to improve yourself. And I have grown tremendously from certain setbacks. If I didn't have those setbacks, I probably would not have reached where I am today because I would have still been operating in a smaller level. So just don't personalize it. Don't think it's your fault. It's just something that happened and you can fix it. And that's such solid advice, I have to say. Um, Regina, an absolute awe of, of what you've achieved and how you've persevered and really built something sustainable that will survive for a very long time. And I have to, I have to congratulate you on that. But also, just thank you so much for sharing those tips with you. You've given us such good advice in terms of pushing through on starting up an organization. And I hope that, that we'll be able to keep in contact down the line and just keep on discussing how companies evolve and need to change with the technology, right? Exactly. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I, I think it's important that we hear 
different stories and we encourage ourselves and we keep talking about it. But, you know, I, I also believe companies have to evolve. Right now, it's, it's something that must happen because the world is evolving so fast. So every company must have that plan. How do we go with technology? How do we stay relevant? How do we make sure that we outgrow and outlive and create a legacy that outlasts the company? Great. That's very good. Thank you so much for your time, Regina. Um, we'll have to speak to you again. Thanks. Regina's personal belief is not to buy into the myth that women don't belong in technology. She has some practical steps, including asking yourself what stirs your passion and therefore what your appetite for risk might be. Next, she suggests that we must be clear about what problem our endeavor will solve and what value we will add to the ecosystem. She warns that the path can be difficult and we should ensure that we have a good support network. Finally, she says that failure can be expected, but we must never, ever give up. Regina's story is an inspiration, and you can find her advice on all the at Frey Intermedia social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find more information about the work we do and the At Change Voices podcast on our website, freyintermedia.com. Do let me know if there are any women you want us to interview on this space, or if you want to support our endeavor. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss out on our next conversation and rate us on whichever platform you listen on. Thank you for your time. Until next time, let's lead.